Good morning, Bucknutters. It is Sunday, September 8th, 2019. I am Dan Rubin. This is Bucknuts Almost Live, our Sunday morning podcast. We will start out with a review of the Cincy game, my opinion, my observations of the game. I was very fortunate to be in attendance. We will then be joined by a trio of wonderful guests, Bill Curlick on recruiting, Matt Baxendell, the people's champ, will take the temperature of the fan base, and then we will finish off with Dave Biddle, who was there yesterday and will give you all the insight of a 20-year beat writer. People, my impressions of the game. First, I must address this because this is Bucknuts and I am who I am. Whoever picked Michigan to beat Ohio State should be ashamed of themselves. Bax will be on later to take that and run with it. But here are my impressions from Ohio State's win over Cincinnati yesterday. As I said, I was very fortunate to be in attendance. Not only did I get a chance to spend some quality time with Mr. Bucknuts, it was my first chance to really see the team in person. Watching the game on television has become an awesome experience, too, now with HD, etc. But when you're there, you really do pick up a great vibe. And thanks to Mr. B providing me with wonderful seats right behind visiting recruits, you can kind of see how players interact with staff and a lot of good stuff. First, generally speaking, not one moment of stress in the game. Not one moment where really felt threatened, where the overall vibe of the game was, was affected. Ohio State was really in control from the start. And there wasn't even any momentum on Cincinnati's side that really ever got created. Offensively, first time I've seen Justin Fields in person, and man, he is really just a special player in terms of his gifts. You can see why his ranking is so high when you get a chance to watch him in person. There's really nothing he can't do. I'm not saying he's the best in anything, but if you compare him to the quarterbacks we've had in here primarily over the last 10, 15 years, Dwayne Haskins. Well, he doesn't have maybe the arm that Haskins has in terms of just that top-end, last-second zip that Haskins has on the ball. And I don't think he's developed as a downfield passer, but he's such a different athlete that he provides something else. There's not a lot the team does better than Fields. Maybe a little more experience in, in, in the offense and where to go with the ball, but he's not bigger, he's not stronger, he's not faster, doesn't have a stronger arm. Braxton Miller. Braxton was a better runner and seemed to have a top high-end speed, but he's not. The quarterback Fields is uh, Fields is a picturesque quarterback, no real hitch in his throwing motion. Yes, he is a bit of a run-first guy now, but that seems to be more on habit than talent. Braxton was a wide receiver when he got to the NFL. Terrell Pryor, you want to mention because while Fields doesn't have that extreme size, he is that big, strong guy who the first tackler never gets to. But Terrell threw a shot put and his decision-making on and off the field was, let's just say, suspect. So I'm not saying right now that Fields is even better than any of them. Um, I do personally think he is, and will prove that out long-term. I'm not sure you can say that two games in. But in terms of just gifts, there's nothing you can't do. Uh, and it shows when you're at the game. What else jumped out to me? Ben Vicker, just a different player, so much more confident. Great routes. He was open all day. Just so impressed with him. He's a guy who, you know, I don't think – had lived up to his potential to this point. Everyone remembers the play he made at Penn State, but was kind of a highly touted kid out of Florida. We expected to have a chance to be a number one type receiver. I'm not sure he's that level, but he was really impressive on the field yesterday. and just looks sharp. He was open all day. A couple other things that jumped out. Master Teague runs damn hard. He, uh, you know, not everybody in the stands is a box nutter. 
and not everybody in the stands knows every player that comes in. So when you bring in a young kid, a freshman, to run the ball, and some people don't know who he is, their reaction was, who the hell is that guy? Because he runs damn hard. It was impressive. Uh, Master Teague is going to be a nice second back for this group. Schematically, very few crossing routes. Not that I even remember any of them. And the jet sweep seems to be gone. That play that was so effective with Paris Campbell over the years seems to be out of the arsenal, for now at least. One thing I thought the receivers needed to work on was Fields is such a good scrambling quarterback. Sometimes when receivers ran the routes and the initial routes broke down or didn't work, um, people probably remember the play where Fields rolled to his right and instructed uh, Chris Olave to run downfield and he hit him. There's one example in particular where a play that looked like it was designed to go to jail and Gill couldn't work. And all three receivers kind of quit on it, Gill especially, but Fields had bought himself some time and the guys could have readjusted, not to mention readjusted deep against guys they were faster than. And Gill really cut an earful from Hartline on the sideline when he came off. I noticed that. Defensively, my impressions, uh, Baron Browning flashed. He played a lot more than Tough Borland. Um, I was watching him just because I haven't seen him play as much as the others. And we've talked about him so much here. Dave Biddle had a great story about him having the light come on. Uh, the light appears to be coming on for Baron Browning, and it really does make a difference when you have a guy like that in the middle of the defense. Chase Young should not be playing college football. He's a pro already. He gets held on almost every single play. He is as dominant uh, a force physically as I think I've ever seen at Ohio State. Just a super impressive guy, and I'm not exaggerating. He's a 9-10 to 10 sack guy in the NFL this year. I honestly believe that. Overall, the defense... Uh, was so much better, just so much better. No missed tackles that, that were really uh, egregious. No busts. It seemed like every other possession for the last couple of years, especially last year, there'd be a bust of some sort. You'd see a guy running free. Didn't happen. Whether the scheme is uh, simple and the guys are following it or the, guy, uh, the coaches are just better at getting the message across to the players is very impressive from that respect. I will say this, Damon Arnett still worries me. The first down deep pass, when you kind of knew they had to do that, uh, he was beat cleanly. It was a nice throw and catch, but if I look at the defense, the thing that really concerns me still is Damon Arnett on the corner. But overall, a 42 nothing win over Cincinnati and just really an impressive beatdown that showed an obvious talent gap between the two programs that was really impressive. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with the dean of Ohio State recruiting, Bill Curlick. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. As promised, we are joined by the Dean of Ohio State Recruiting, Bill Curlick, wearing his brand new Odell Beckham jersey. Bill, how goes it? <laughs> goes well this morning, and uh, uh, we are uh, just hours away from Odell and the Browns. Going to be interesting, I'm sure. No pressure on the Browns. Very little expectations for them this year, Bill. So, Mike Grable on the opposite sideline. Definitely be some Buckeye vibes up there. Speaking of Buckeye vibes, all love yesterday at uh, the Shoe, 42 nothing over Cincinnati. 
really just an impressive overall showing. I gave my thoughts. Bill, your thoughts of the Buckeyes' performance against the Bearcats yesterday? Well, I'm not sure uh, high State fans could want or expect anything more than that game. Uh, I think I'm like most people. You know, I thought Ohio State would win, but I thought it would be a competitive game. And uh, right from the start, Ohio um, State uh, really, really uh, dominated that game. And, and I did a piece uh, on Bucknuts this morning or at, yesterday, actually last night, uh, recruits reacting to the game. And, uh, you know, there were surprise, some surprise there. You know, some recruits – felt like most it was going to be a, a, a pretty close game or a reasonably close game at least and Ohio State just took it to them and the recruits were very impressed and and so was I um you know just total domination and uh the difference in the defense this year to last year is just, just stunning almost you know they don't miss a lot of tackles they don't give up big plays and they're just sound I think it's uh bodes well for the future obviously a performance like that you want to invite people in to watch. Can you let us know who was in attendance? I saw Paris Johnson and Jacob James standing next to each other. Let us know who was there, what they thought of it. Well, uh, certainly a number of the highest state commitments were there, as you mentioned, Dan. Paris Johnson and uh, most of the offensive line commitments. Paris Johnson was there, as he is to pretty much all the games. Luke Weipler made it all the way from New Jersey out to the game. Um, as you mentioned, Jacob James, Josh Fryer, Grant Tutom, the, um, the high state offensive line commitments out in force again. Uh, all the way from Texas, Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, the outstanding wide receiver, uh, made it to the game. And, you know, he came off a game as interesting, Dan. Um, his team won easily. They they rolled over uh, their opponent on Friday night. So he only, he only got to play a little over a quarter in that game. He still caught four passes and had two touchdowns and uh, had another good game. That came after a, a game the first weekend when he had almost 300 receiving yards. So uh, he is off to a great start. But uh, Mike Drennan uh, from, from Dublin Coffins, another one. Um, you know, he, he's a guy that the highest state has been – uh, hoping to get a commitment from for their all-purpose back spot in the class. Uh, Joe Royer was there, another back to the highest state commitment tight end, uh, was at the game. Uh, also, uh, Reed Carrico, the outstanding linebacker from Ironton, was at the game. And I was at his game on Friday night. His team won 10 to nothing, and he made the big play of the game. The game is 3 to nothing with uh, about three minutes left in the contest. He asked his coach, he plays running back and linebacker, he asked his coach if he could be split out wide because he thought he could take them deep. So the coach split him out wide. He went deep, post pattern over the middle, 45-yard touchdown pass, and that really uh, sealed the deal. Ironton won 10 to nothing over a good Russell, Kentucky team. Uh, you know, great players make big plays, and he certainly came through. But he was at the game as well, and he's certainly a guy that I State would love to land. Quickly on Carrico. He's a kid with a Clemson offer out of, you know, not rural Ohio, but certainly not living in uh, Columbus. He impressed you that much that he's a national caliber recruit? Uh, he's an outstanding player. Now, his stats for that game uh, were not out of sight, so to speak, because the Russell Kentucky team you know, played a defense where they just kind of, or I'm sorry, they ran an offense where they just kind of walled things off and made it a little bit more difficult for Carrico to get in on his usual, you know, 20-plus tackle-type game. Um, 
so his stats weren't great. And, and Russell also did a nice job of, you know, bottling him up um, at the line of scrimmage when he was playing running back. Uh, they made it tough on him. You know, there was there was no doubt that they were not going to let him beat them. Um, and, and the Russell, Kentucky team had some big kids. It's a school that's a lot bigger than Ironton. Um, they had a, some big kids, some fine athletes, and they, they were tough at the line of scrimmage. But Carrico made the big play. The thing that impressed me most with is Carrico runs so well. Uh, when he's a linebacker and he's running somebody down, he hunts them down and he gets there. Runs extremely well. Uh, 6'3", about 220 pounds, and, yeah, he's an Ohio State caliber guy, no doubt about it. And interesting, talking to him after the game, everybody is talking about Ohio State and Clemson with him, and, and for good reason. He's very interested in those two schools they both offered. But uh, a school not to sleep on is, is Kentucky. Um, he mentioned them prominently as a school that he's interested in. He lives right, you know, right across the river from the state of Kentucky, and you know, that's a school to, to keep in mind with Carrico. He's, from talking to him, I would say that Ohio State, uh, Clemson, Kentucky could well be his big three. That'd be in my opinion, but I, I still like Ohio State's chances in the end. Running back recruiting, let's finish with this. This is going to be the topic until it's filled. There has been, uh, it was an eventful week, another offer went out. Uh, bring us just up to speed on where we are on the quest to fill those two spots. Well, as I mentioned, uh, all-purpose back-wise, they're, they're still trying to land Michael Drennan um, from Dublin Kaufman. Uh, then they made a scholarship offer this past week to a running back from Georgia, uh, J. Meyer Gibbs, who was who outstanding. Uh, certainly someone that uh, uh, is interested in Ohio State. He is a Georgia Tech commitment right now, but he plans to make a visit to Ohio State. Um, uh, certainly there are other backs that they are uh, continuing to recruit. Cavante Bradford from Texas is another guy they've offered a scholarship to. Um, certainly Ohio State is still in the mix for him as well. Uh, so, so it's really E.J. Smith from Dallas. Uh, Jesuit High School is another player, another running back they've offered. So he, he remains in the mix. So uh, there's still a number of names in the mix there uh, for that running back spot. And, it, you know, they, they're, they're still very confident they're going to land an outstanding back of this class and likely two backs. They want a regular all-purpose uh, running back. That would be Mike Drennan at the top of the list. And then they want an every-down back. Uh, a guy like a Cavante Bradford, for instance. So uh, the quest goes on, and, you know, they'll continue contacting recruits until they get the uh, the right two. They don't call him the dean for nothing. We appreciate him stopping by and being a fixture here on Bucknuts Almost Live. Bill, have a great Sunday, brother. You too, Dan. Good luck to your Browns. <laughs> Thanks. We'll be back with the people's champ, Matt Baxendale. Talk about seamless. I call for it. He joins. Matt Baxendale, the people champ, is here. Bax, how goes it? Well, pretty darn good after yesterday, Dan. How about yourself? That was impressive. I'm not going to belabor it here. Your impressions of the Buckeyes, curb stomping of Cincinnati, 42 nothing at the shoe. Take us through the people's champ bride yesterday. So I, I think at the end of the day, what this game did for me was it significantly changed my perspective on my expectations for this team for the year. I know it's week two, and I know it's just Cincinnati, but that's a Cincinnati team that won 11 games last year that looks like 
a team that could win nine or 10 or 11 games again this year. And Ohio State went out and absolutely dominated them. They could have been Youngstown State for all that we knew. I mean, you change the jerseys, the same results. That's the sort of thing that happens when you play a lower-level team. Ohio State has a quarterback who is far ahead of where I thought he would be in the passing game in Justin Fields at this point. Um, I said this last week here on the show. I said, before the season, my big concerns were whether Justin Fields would acclimate quickly enough to the team and whether he would sort of have his learning curve run up to a point where he, early on in the year he was performing at a high level. I knew he would eventually get there, but I don't think many people expected him to have this kind of start. Uh, this is, what, nine touchdowns for him through two games? Uh, Ohio State scored 87 points in these two games, and he has not looked remotely out of his depth. His accuracy throwing the ball is light years ahead of where I thought it would be uh, under live fire situations. Uh, what do you have yesterday? Like five incompletions and at least two of them were intentional get rid of the ball plays? That's insane. And he hasn't thrown a pick. There's been no turnovers that are really his fault here. There's that one backwards pass in the first game that, you know, okay, you can describe that to a teaching moment. But Justin Fields is far ahead of where I thought he would be in September. And, you know, there are multiple people who I respect yesterday who weren't wearing scarlet and gray glasses saying, hey, early on in the year here, Jonathan Taylor and Justin Fields in the first two games have been easily the two best offensive players in the Big Ten. Uh, people are already starting to whisper the H word, which, you know, we'll leave September Heismaning to Notre Dame and Michigan. But Justin Fields right now looks nowhere near uh, the player that I thought he was going to be. He's far surpassed my expectations. What we also saw yesterday was an offensive line that took that first quarter against FAU and carried it over the majority of the game. Uh, to be blunt, this game could have been a lot worse. I think the first and third drives for OSU could have easily resulted in touchdowns that they didn't get any points out of. I mean, imagine if this was 56 to nothing, how many jaws would be on the ground. 42 to nothing is also impressive. And we haven't even talked about the defense yet. The to nothing part of this is the part that has me most excited. Uh, Cincinnati couldn't run the ball to save their lives yesterday. Like Desmond Ritter had a few plays where he got away and picked up some yardage, but you know Warren had 15 yards on like 10 or 11 carries, so a yard and a half a carry against a pretty good Cincinnati team that prides itself on running the ball is exceptional. And I tell you what, we saw Tyreek Smith make an impact. We saw Chase Young continue to be the best defensive lineman in college football, and yes, I will go there. And more importantly, we saw some linebacker play yesterday from some players that I have – we certainly did not see these guys play like last year. Baron Browning played the best game I've ever seen from him. He looked like a linebacker. And that's for the second straight week he played well. And I kind of brushed off last week because, you know, whatever, it's FAU. This is a much better team. This is The Cincinnati team is as good as the lower half of the teams in the Big Ten. And Baron Browning was all over the field. Uh, Pete Werner looked better than I expected as well. So – We've got pieces on this team that are really coming together much quicker than anticipated. Uh, for me, this recalibrates my expectations because uh, before the year I said I thought 11-1, they'll probably lose one early while Fields gets up to speed. There's none of that now. This OSU team is coming out of the gates, and they look like a national championship contender. It's funny that you mentioned what you did. The way I do this show is I start off with by myself and make some – silly impressions that I had and that you picked out one of the major ones from when I was in the, at the game yesterday was 
having Baron Browning on the field and a good Baron Browning makes the defense look different. It just does. A linebacker like that in the middle of the field is really impressive. And like you said, last week could have been a flash in the pan. This week he was even better. I also mentioned something on Chase Young. I don't want to gloss over Chase just because he's so dominant. Maybe just a minute on on the guy. He really is maybe the most physically gifted defensive player we've ever had here. I know that sounds like a ridiculous statement, but he's unblockable. They literally hold him on every single play. Am I exaggerating how good I think Chase Young is, you think? Yes, because Chase Young cannot catch a football that floated easily in the air yeah, that he held on right. to. He could have moonwalked into the end zone. Uh, that's really the only complaint we have with Chase Young through two games is that he didn't catch what would have been the signature highlight play of the game. Did you know they would have played that? I mean, if Chase Young wanted to win the Heisman, he needed to catch that ball. I am sorry. But, I mean, other than that, no, you're not exaggerating. Chase Young, look, we just came off the era of the Bosa's. Uh, I remember back to Will Smith, right? We've had some exceptional defensive linemen in Ohio State, but Chase Young is a guy that uh, Dave Biddle said this yesterday in his What We Learned column, and I had said the same thing talking to some people yesterday after the game. If the quarterbacks weren't always the number one pick, Chase Young would be the number one pick this year. I haven't yep. seen a single player in the in college football this year that pops right off the screen at you like Chase Young. Like, Jonathan Taylor is making some great plays for Wisconsin, but, you know, he did that against teams that aren't exactly in the league of, of a Cincinnati like this. And every play, it seems like Chase Young is one or two guys that are, like, trying to throw a net over him and, like, you know, sit on him, and it just doesn't work. Like, he gets held every play blatantly. Like, the officials literally could call holding every single play. And, by the way, was he the one who blocked the field goal yesterday, too? I know he, he came yes. right in the middle. So that's yes, just another thing he did. I mean, this, this guy is everywhere. Like I said, if he had better hands, Ryan Day might as well have put him at tight end, you know. But I guess Chase Young will have to settle for being the best defensive end in the sport right now. This is probably topic for another show, so no need to comment on it. But uh, I mentioned in my intro that Justin Fields has no discernible weakness. I was comparing him to the quarterbacks we've had here in the past now. He may not be as developed in every category as others, but he has no obvious weakness. And I would say the same thing about Chase Young. I can't think of two players we've had here where they literally have no limitations physically whatsoever by anything, like NFL elite standards. Justin Fields is as good a physical specimen quarterback-wise as is walking the earth right now. I'm not saying he's going to be the best quarterback, but there's nothing holding him back. All right. Okay, we said a lot of great stuff, and it was 42 nothing. Do you have any lingering concerns as they hit the road to go to Indiana? No. This team is, yesterday in that game, sort of quelled my concerns. My concern now is exactly how good is Wisconsin, exactly how good is Maryland, what kind of challenge do they really pose? Uh, Wisconsin having won its first two games 110 to nothing. Maryland having scored 63 and 79 points, including just murdering Syracuse yesterday. So the Big Ten as a whole, to me, looks way better than I expected. That's If you want a concern, it's that you know, OSU's schedule is harder than we originally thought it was going to be. Uh, you know, Michigan almost losing to Army aside. Uh, this uh, is a darn good we'll league Ohio State's playing in. But uh, uh, my, my concerns from an OSU perspective have virtually been eliminated. 
this defense looks fixed. This quarterback looks like he's prepared and is playing at an uber elite level. Uh, the offensive line showed us what an offensive line should look like. They were on point the whole game. The young receivers had a very strong game. Garrett Wilson is going to do that a lot, not just this year, but in his career when he goes up and grabs the ball away from a defender and catches it away from his body and still holds onto it through the ground while a guy's trying to rip it out. That was impressive. Uh, the secondary on the defense has shown that they are at an elite level as well. Uh, you have some top-notch athletes on the back end of the defense who are actually turning their head around to the football this year. Uh, the linebackers look like nothing we saw last year. The only player who remotely looks like last year is Malik Harrison because Malik Harrison was pretty decent last year, even with a terrible defensive scheme. And then, of course, you have an excellent group of special teams. You have a dominant defensive line. You have coaches who seem like they know what they're doing. Really, you want to know what my complaint yesterday was? Is on the series where OSU got stopped on fourth and one. I thought Fields got it on second and one. Why they didn't ask for a measurement was beyond me. So, you know, if you want to you want to know how good yesterday's game was, I'm complaining about the coaches not asking for a measurement in the first quarter. I don't think there's anything we can really complain about more than that, right? So my concerns about this OSU team, no, I'm I'm full bore on my they should win every game and play for the national championship kind of expectations at this point because we've seen that level of potential through two weeks. So as long as they can keep themselves focused the next two weeks against opponents that they should thrash before going to a Nebraska team that doesn't seem anywhere as scary as they did about two weeks ago, then this OSU team, the sky is literally the limit. Ladies and gentlemen, we will get to the Army game. I know you Army fans are dying for an update. But first, let's hit some national scores. Clemson 24-10 over Texas A&M. I watched that game. It was not close. Your vibe. Uh, I think the only thing that's interesting is that I think a lot of us have expected a little bit more from Trevor Lawrence this year through two games. Uh, this isn't, this is, Clemson's in the spot where Miami was in 2001, where everybody knows that they're elite as all hell and that they're as good as anyone in the country. We also know that no one on their schedule can prayer to even try to touch them. I mean, if Syracuse is the second best team in the ACC and they're losing by six touchdowns to Maryland, what does it tell you about that garbage league? So, you know, Clemson's going to walk back. They can put their clothes on backwards like crisscross and probably win games against half the teams of the ACC. It's a garbage league. But Clemson's awesome. And, you know, the only question is whether they're going to stay focused enough when they get to the playoff to come out and continue to play at a high level when they won't be challenged to the entire year. And, you know, it's been a little interesting because through two weeks, I think Trevor Lawrence has been good, not great. Uh, I, I think he's somebody that everybody expected to come out this year and look like the next coming in Dan Marino, and we haven't seen that from him yet. But th- that's the thing with Clemson. Every game they, they play right now, we're expecting them to win 56 to nothing, so every time they don't, it's a disappointment. And Aggie's a good team. I mean, I, A&M's one of those teams that, you know, if they had a little easier schedule, they'd be a pretty decent squad. But it, Clemson is Clemson right now, and Clemson's going to stay undefeated, and they're going to be number one for the entire year till we get to the playoff, and then we'll see what happens from there. Arguably the most popular player for Buckeye fans that does not wear scarlet and gray, Jumpin' Joe Burrow looks ridiculous. They beat Texas 45-38. I enjoyed the heck out of that game. That, to me, is a great night game. Your thoughts? Yeah, that was spectacular. Um, it's 
one of those funny things in college football where LSU and the University of Texas are like a four-hour drive apart or something like that, four hours, five hours, something that range, right? And they haven't played each other in the regular season since the Korean War or something crazy. So that was neat just to see those two teams play each other. That's the kind of matchup you would always try to make on like a video game. And, sure. you know, so the tra- the tradition side of it for me was really cool. Then you throw in the fact it was actually a really fun game. Like it was back and forth. There was some really crazy stuff going on. That that was one of the more enjoyable games to watch yesterday. It may have been the most enjoyable game to watch yesterday. Uh, but I think the, the the other thing with that one was is I knew a lot of people who were like, I don't know who to root for. Because I hate Tom Herman because, you know, he tried taking down the program. Uh, but And I love Joe Burrow. But I don't want the SEC winning a big conference game because they don't look that good this year. And if they lose that one, then people might start to realize that they're a couple good programs and a bunch of mediocre teams, just like everyone else. And I, my 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 advice was treat it like Michigan in a bowl game. If they lose, it's hilarious because they lost. But if they win, well, yay, big time, right? So, uh, and in this case, Joe Burrow played awesome. And Joe Burrow's another guy who is going to get that September Heisman hype. But for Joey B, if their offense plays the way it did and the way that those receivers played yesterday, and they threw for 475 yards. I, I I tend to believe that this year's Alabama team is a little more vulnerable than most people think. They've got some issues in their defense where they weren't going to be as, you know, death star level as usual, even before the injuries to guys like Dylan Moses. LSU is a team that, you know, going into the season, I thought Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma and Alabama were really the four teams that had the actual chance to win the title. Not to make the playoffs or whatever, but actually win it, right? And I said the winner of that LSU-Texas game could convince me that they were the number five team that could get into that conversation as well. And I feel pretty strongly about that today. Um, you know, I think I think you're in a spot where LSU has uh, entered the conversation. Uh, you, you throw them in there, um, and as well with Georgia. Those are the teams, really the six teams, that one of them will win the championship. I don't know which one yet, but one of them will. And if LSU's offense is as good as it looked yesterday, they could easily beat Alabama this year. In fact, if Joe Burrow and that offense keeps producing at this level, I'll probably expect them to beat Alabama. Even though Ed Orgeron's always, you know, let's face it, he's not your greatest game day coordinator. He's 7-0 and against ranked teams that aren't Alabama in his coaching career at LSU. That tells you about what he's done at that program. Maybe he just needed to be in the right spot to be a much higher level coach, but LSU is a very interesting team this year. That's for sure. And we could see them make a lot of noise getting into November. Yeah, what jumped out to me is Joe Burrow's a professional quarterback. I was not sure of that until yesterday, basically because he had never played in a scheme like that, but he can throw the deep out. His decision-making was fantastic. What also jumped out to me is if I was an LSU fan, all it took to fix the offense was getting a new coordinator, and I didn't have to sit through the last 15 years of garbage, I would be furious. Now let's get to the matter at hand. Army really should have beaten Michigan, man. I was at the game, so I didn't get to see the highlights. I, like the rest of the crowd, cheered when the score was flashed on the scoreboard multiple times. But that's not an exaggeration. Army should have beaten Michigan. Your thoughts on the fighting khakis almost losing to a service academy at home? So I'm going to toot my own horn here. I've been talking about this since the summer. I thought Army had a really great chance to beat them. I had picked them to, to upset them, I believe, in July. So seeing 
that school up north somehow managed to pull this one out of their rear end was a thorough disappointment to me because that you know this wouldn't have been anything like Appalachian State beating them a while ago and I'd like to remind everybody that Michigan lost to Appalachian State because that's just funny uh but Army's a darn good team and Michigan played like garbage I was flipping back and forth like in commercial breaks of the OSU game or whatever to have the opportunity to watch the Army game in fact, I kind of switched away from the OSU game in the fourth quarter when they were up big. I went back and watched it later because I wanted to see if Army was going to actually pull it off. And here's my thought on this. That offense is supposed to be, like, super-duper great hype, right? It, through two weeks, it's, it's been mediocre at best. Uh, Shea Patterson is not that good. I think we all knew that here, but all the hype he's been getting nationally, people seem to forget that he's still Shea Patterson, right? I think through three games now, he has like five fumbles or something insane. And they don't have a very good offensive line. In fact, I was watching their offensive line, and there was one play where Patterson got uh, he got sacked from behind and fumbled the football. And the Army kid who came around the defensive end looked like he was as big as me. Like, he might he might have been – he couldn't have been taller than six foot one, right? And he, he, he just blows right by Michigan's left tackle. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, if that's Chase Young or Tyreek Smith, or what, I mean, what are you, what's going to happen against OSU? Holy cow. And the truth is that Michigan doesn't have a great running game. They, they, we were all com- concerned about J.K. Dobbins last week at four-plus yards of carry. That Charbonnet kid had three yards of carry yesterday. You know, they just ran him straight in the line. Their lack of creativity has not changed from last year. And physically, they were getting beat by a service academy squad. So, you know, I really think that we're seeing a spot where Michigan is going to be the same version of Wisconsin that they've always been this year. I have seen no reason to believe that their wunderkin guy, that Josh Gaddis, a coordinator, is suddenly going to make that offense special. It seems very clear to me that all the credit for Alabama's offense last year belongs to Mike Loxley at Maryland with what's happened the last two games. Uh, and comparatively speaking, what's happened with supposedly a more talented team at Michigan. They look every bit of 9-3 and three or 8-4. and four. And if they didn't have a bye week this week, I'd be picking them to lose for certain because you get beat up by these Army Academy kind of games. Um, but guess who they play in two weeks? Wisconsin. At Wisconsin. The same Wisconsin who won 61 nothing yesterday and has won 110 to nothing combined in its first two games. Wisconsin should beat them face off of them. And I think that aptly describes where they're at as a program. Make sure you get over to the bucket right away. They don't call them the people's champ for nothing. We appreciate back stopping by backs. Have a great Sunday. Thanks, Dan. We'll be back in just one second with beat writer extraordinaire, Dave Biddle. We are back. Dave Biddle is here. Dave, your post-game feature of what we learned is arguably the most popular thing on the site. You were there yesterday for the 42 nothing beatdown. What did you learn? Well, I continue to learn this defense is for real, Dan. Um, they fly around. They have the look of a national championship contending defense. And it's, you know, we're only one-sixth of the way through the regular season. It's still a very small sample size. But I love what I'm seeing out of this group. We knew they were deep and talented. And I think we know now, if we didn't already, that, the question, what was the problem last year? Was it scheme or was it talent or what was it? Uh, it was a 100% scheme. I mean, how bad does Greg Schiano look right now? Uh, I mean, Cincinnati, not that they're a juggernaut or anything, but, you know, they're a, a 
good offensive team. I mean, Desmond Ritter's a good quarterback. Michael Warren's a really good running back. Michael Warren, of all the stats that the defense put up, my favorite one is Michael Warren was held to 10 carries for 15 yards, 1.5 yards per carry. So the defense stands out to me, Dan. Um, Justin Fields continues to look the part. I thought he'd be good. Um, I thought assuming he'd be great was too much to ask. As, as a sophomore, I thought he'd be a little bit more raw than what we're seeing. He's more accurate with the football than I was expecting. I knew he'd be a good runner. I knew he had a big arm. Uh, none of that's a surprise, but his accuracy has been a pleasant surprise to me. Again, small sample size, and he's going to need, need to do it against you know bigger and better teams. But Cincinnati came in with a good game plan. They were blitzing almost every play, mixing things up, just like we knew they would. So Justin Fields is cool, calm, and collected back there, and I think he it's clear to me now he's going to be better than good. And I, I thought he needed to be at least good for Ohio State to be great. Well, you know, he's going to be better than good, and, and this Ohio State team can – go very far. I think they've proven quickly that they are the team to beat in the Big Ten so far. As I go through this, Dave, I mentioned that I thought Chase Young shouldn't be playing college football anymore because it's basically unfair. He looks like uh, someone invited your big brother to come play with a bunch of little kids. Your impression of Chase Young, I'm not saying he's a better football player than either of the Bosas, but in terms of just a physical specimen and dominance, I'm not sure I've seen a defensive player at Ohio State like this. Am I being hyperbolic? I just hope he's not listening to the show, Dan, because I'm, the, my biggest concern with Chase Young is he's going to decide, you know what, I can just take the rest of the year off and still be a top two pick. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's he will true. be. I mean, if, it, it is. And it, that was my concern coming in, is he can be making business decisions this year. But, no, he's flying around having fun playing football and had a big blocked field goal. I mean, he's out there on special teams. I mean, it's just – he. Uh, I love how they have – by the way, I love how they don't have just Chase Young out there, you know, blocking field goals. Did you notice they had Dewan Jones out there? I love that. Big Dewan Jones out there that blocking and trying to block a field goal. But, uh, yeah, um, he is unblockable. And the problem that offensive lines are going to face, if you – okay, if you double Chase Young, all right – Ohio State happens to have the best collection of defensive tackles that I can remember as far as top to bottom. Not that they haven't had any better defensive tackles than what they have right now, but as far as when Tommy Togiai is a backup, <laughs> you know you're stacked at defensive tackle. When Antoine Jackson's like fourth team and, and Jerron Cage are fourth team players, you know you're stacked at D-tackle. I mean, it's amazing. you got Devon Hamilton and Robert Landers and Togiai and Haskell Garrett. Teron Vincent was the number one D-tackle in the country, and he's not even playing, and they're not even missing a beat because he's hurt. So it's like pick your poison. If you double chase Young, you're going to leave someone else unblocked. Uh, or at least, you know, single covered. And, you know, Tyreek Smith's now coming back. That was good to see. He had a big sack. He, you, know, you talked to all the coaches and players over there, Dan. They all think that Tyreek Smith is going to be a star. Like, they all, you know, it's like uniform to a man. They think he's going to be a star. So, yeah, Chase Young, no, I just hope he keeps this intensity up. If he does, look the hell out because, um, you know, he looks every bit as good as we thought he would be this season, but better. You know what I mean? Like, we thought he'd be great. He looks, as you were saying, it's not hyperbolic at all. It's, he looks fantastic. He looks like he could be playing in the NFL right now. I just hope no one gets in his ear and tells him that. One guy I do want you to talk about, though, because you talked about him earlier in the week. You had a story about him and the light coming on. Having a middle linebacker in the middle of the field with the size, speed, and aggressiveness of Baron Browning was really impressive. I'd never seen him play that well. Your thoughts on number five? Yeah, I think the light has come on for him. I think, and he credits out Washington a lot. I mean, he then he's careful after he says – 50 good, nice things about Al Washington. He'll say, not that the coaches last year were bad or anything. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I like that he handled He's it that way. He's a coach's son. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, you, you don't have to read between the lines very hard at all to, to hear what he's saying, that um, Al Washington's made a big difference, and that just doesn't 
sound good for Billy Davis. And we saw the linebackers regress um, when Billy Davis was a linebacker coach. Jerome Baker is a perfect example of that. Jerome Baker looked like a wrecking crew as a sophomore than as a junior. He just, you know, he, he was just a guy. Now maybe that was partially because he knew that was his his final year of college, so it wasn't all on Billy Davis. But yeah, Baron Browning, um, that is so good to see, and he played more this week. I mean, he. I, you know, this, this idea that Tuff Borland's the starting linebacker, I mean, yeah, he runs out there first, but Baron Browning's playing just as much as Tuff Borland. In fact, I'd have to look at the exact snap count. I thought he was out there more than Tuff Borland. He was. Thought, he definitely was. Yeah, I, I, I thought, you know, I thought he played well. I also thought another guy that they had out there more than they did the first week was Sean Wade, and Sean Wade played great. Yeah. They got all these guys that are like former five stars that are like, Almost like guys that we don't even talk about that much. You know, Sean Way, number one corner in the country and all this. and the, uh, Or number two, because Jeffrey Okuda was the number one corner that year. Um, not that anybody forgot about Sean Way, but it's just the talent is just dripping off this team. And to see a guy like Baron Browning come of age is, is really good because it gives them depth. Um, it gives them a playmaker. It gives them a guy that now is, oh, now I can see why he was ranked as the number one outside linebacker in the country. The man in that 2017 class was something else. Um, just guy, you know, getting those guys out of Texas too. Um, it's not like they were in Ohio. Ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, Baron Browning. Um, I like what I'm seeing out of him. Another guy that, that I think is stepping up uh, is Master Teague. You know, and like I said in the piece, Dan, I don't, I'm not calling for, you know, Dobbins to get benched. I thought Dobbins looked good yesterday, but they need a legit backup tailback, and they've got it in Master Teague. I mean, it's not Demario McCall. They can use Demario McCall in many different ways, but he's not the true backup tailback. Master Teague is, and I love what I'm seeing out of him. Uh, again, this is not a rip on J.K. Dobbins. Some people think I hate J.K. Dobbins. Not true. I'm glad they have J.K. Dobbins. I, they did not be concerned. I'd be very concerned about running back depth. Having Dobbins and Teague and then the rest of the crew with McCall to, to fill in if they need Marcus Crowley, guys like that. Um, but they need a one-two punch, and they have it, in my opinion, now with Dobbins and Teague. So, uh, man, I'm just impressed with this team across the board. Uh, the coaching, I thought the play calling was great early, offensively and defensively. I like how they mixed the tempo up. They were going really frenetic early with the tempo, boom, 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 backed off the gas when they needed to. I mean, they just kept Cincinnati on their heels. We kept talking about how Cincinnati was going to come with a great game plan. Well, maybe they did, but it was trumped by the game plan from Ryan Day and Jeff Halfley and the entire coaching staff. Any concerns as we hit the road for Indiana? I can see a little bit of a letdown. Not a big concern. This, I mean, this team, I think, is just too focused. And I think that some of the things that we saw with letdowns the last few years, I, I'll be surprised if this team um, has that same mindset. Ryan Day just seems so locked in. And, um, but there is that minor concern. It's the Big Ten opener. And you're coming off a dominant performance. Everybody including uh, Bucknuts Almost Live going to be telling you how great you are all week. And, you know, uh, hopefully the coaches keep pushing them. I think they will. So I, I don't think there's much to be concerned about. This Indiana team is okay. They're not, a, they're not a bad team. I won't be surprised if they finish like 6-6 six and six and make a bowl, which for Indiana, as we all know, that's a good year. Um, they got a redshirt freshman quarterback that they like, um, good running back in Stevie Scott. Um, I don't know. I mean, Indiana is an okay team. They're a Big Ten team, so I guess there's always a little bit concerned. But the good news about that, as we all know, is that's Ohio Stadium West. It's not like there's a real like home field advantage for the Hoosiers. There's more, there'll be more Ohio State fans there than Indiana fans. So, no, Dan, I don't think there's much you know cause for concern. I don't see this team having a, having a letdown. They might come out with it being a noon kick, coming off such a big win over Cincinnati. They might come out a little lackadaisical next week, but uh, I still think this team's going to roll the Hoosiers next week in Bloomington. We definitely appreciate Dave stopping by. It was a cavalcade of wonderful guests, and I'll leave you with this. 
Whatever you thought about Ohio State coming into the season, they are absolutely an elite team with an absolute chance of making a run at the college football playoff, and that is wonderful. Have a great Sunday, everybody. 